Say goodbye to your credit card rewards. Greedy corporate mega stores, led by Walmart and Target, are pushing for a law in Congress to take away your hard-earned cash back and travel points to line their pockets. The Durbin Marshall Credit Card Bill would enact harmful credit card routing mandates that would end credit card rewards as we know it. If you love your credit card rewards, tell your lawmakers, hands off my rewards. Tell them to oppose the Durbin Marshall Credit Card Bill. Thanks to Sana Skin Studio for supporting the No Podcast. Sana is a skin studio that is shifting the relationship with your skin and your products through goal-driven facials, real guidance, and clean skincare. Stay tuned for our promo code so you can receive $25 off of your first facial at Sana Skin Studio. The Herd is a social app that is changing how we find and share recommendations for beauty, health, and wellness services. And I can't wait to tell you more about the app and why I love it so much. Stay tuned for more on The Herd. Welcome to the No Podcast with me, Nikki Spo. What is up, my friends? Welcome back to another episode of The No with me, Nikki Spo. I'm really glad that you're here today because today I get to interview Bethany Webster. I have had her on my radar for over a year now. I've read her book more than twice, and I'm just, I'm so excited for you to hear from her today. She wrote the book, Discovering the Inner Mother, and we're going to talk about the mother wound today, okay? Bethany Webster is a writer, international speaker, and transformational coach. She started blogging in 2013 about the mother wound and quickly experienced worldwide demand for her work. Through blending research on intergenerational trauma, feminist theory, and psychology with her own personal story, Bethany's work is a result of decades of research and her own journey of healing. Bethany speaks, consults, and mentors around the world, sharing her growing body of work that is raising the standards of women's leadership and personal development. As I sat down to re-listen to her book again, now that my mom had passed away, I was reaffirmed in the way that I handled my own healing journey. And I trust in my heart that I did the right thing for my own well-being and growth. Today, we all have the incredible privilege to hear Bethany Webster elaborate on some of the topics in her book and in her overall teachings. Get your journals out or your notes app opened because this is an episode full of important healing advice for every woman. Because while every woman may not be a mother, every woman has a mother, whether we know who she is or not. We are all daughters and it is up to us to do our own healing for ourselves, but also for the next generation of daughters and sons and for society as a whole. So let's get started with Bethany Webster. On the note of healing, like what are some of the action steps that we can begin to take? Um, And a really super beginning one is to, you know, connect with your inner child. Like if you've never done that, an easy way to start is to just like get a picture of yourself or look at pictures of yourself as a child and like get into that zone of like, wow, like really look at yourself and imagine, you know, imagine yourself, like what you were feeling, what you were thinking and what made you happy, what were your struggles. This is a form of empathizing with the child that you were. So just if that's like a super like half step, just look at pictures of yourself and send some love to that little girl. Be like, hmm. I'm with you. I see you. I see you, you know? And um, so be sincere about it. Like treat her as like, she's a living energy that's with you now. You know, she's not long gone. She's inside you pulling the strings (laughs) 
in a lot of ways. So just giving her love, starting to create a kind of nurturing, warm relationship with her. Another step could be if you want to even take that further. Well, a fun thing I invite people to do is like create a Pinterest board of all the yummy stuff you loved as a kid. So like food, um, toys, um, shows you watched, um, things you like to do, just like have fun on Pinterest like the little kid in you to just like, I remember one of the funnest things I did was I, I went on eBay and I bought like a Cabbage Patch Kid, like the exact kind I wanted. Um, and it came in the box, like from the eighties, like it hadn't been opened. Yeah. It was like, and my inner child was just like, so it was really powerful because it was a message. Like you get to have what you want. You yes. get to be happy. You get to have yes. something. You get to you like- You get to have what you want. Yeah. Oh my gosh. Yes. <laughs> Um, so play with that. Yeah. Like get, to, get into that energy of like, what would my inner child want? What would be something I could do for her that would feel nurturing and really exciting? So that's another thing. A more advanced- I would do my hair. I would braid my hair. <laughs> I, would, <laughs> I would get out the My Little Ponies. Yes! I would listen to No Doubt and bounce around to spider webs. Oh my gosh. Good times. Knee socks. Clueless. Wow. Yes. So fun. Yeah. Make a playlist on Spotify yeah. of your, yeah. you know, the music you were listening, you were hearing when you were a child. And more advanced, like, exercise you could do is to just contemplate, like, what are the most problematic or, like, repeating patterns that cause suffering for me in my adult life? Like, what is it? Maybe it's something in relationships. Maybe it's like a, you keep repeating the same job um, or something like that. And then think about like, okay, what is this? What is the pattern? You know, maybe it's like you get a job and then you kind of start to get, you always seem to get the same kind of bosses who piss you off and you want to like push back and then you end up leaving or something like that. Um, and how does that relate to your childhood? What kind of cycle is getting repeated um, so just contemplate, journal about that. And it, one of the most powerful things we can do that helps us get traction on our healing journey is to start to make those links between what's happening now and what's happening, what happened then. Um, and this is not about staying stuck in the past or it's more like seeing that the mother wound is like an invisible fence that keeps us stuck in certain behaviors and thoughts. And um, so we want to resolve it. We repeat things to resolve them. And the way that we resolve them is through figuring out how is my inner child trying to keep me safe? You know, often we, you know, the very problematic things we're doing are ways that we're just using the same safety algorithms of the past. So it could be like we keep pushing people away or we keep seeing our mother you know, our spiritual bypassing mother in the boss or in the yoga teacher or whoever triggers you, you know? So we have to kind of process about that original context. That's how we resolve things is we go back. We have to go back to go forward. It's kind of a paradox. So what has to be resolved? It might be a feeling. Maybe you just need to um, just validate to your inner child, like, yeah, you, you, what, what, what happened to you was not okay. And you get to feel anger about that. So tell me everything you're angry about. Let's write it all down. I want you to know that I'm hearing you. So be creative in how, you know, you hear what, okay, what do I need to process? What do I need to sit with? What's the original emotion? I, I didn't get processed back then. I'm safe enough now. I can process it. So let's work through it. Right. So that's a kind of more of an advanced one, but 
it's really trying to make that a habit, like a default way of seeing things that you can easily with practice move through, move through stuff very easily. And life becomes very fun when you're surfing that wave where you can kind of work through stuff quicker. You start to create more possibilities quicker. Bethany, you know, one of the things that I love about that you didn't say, because, and I think this point is something that you drive home in your book is that you can do this work without your mother, because ultimately Mm -hmm. the mother wound is not about your mother. It's about you, right? It's about us, right? Doing our own healing journey. And I can't tell you how many resentments I've had towards my mom and and really both my parents, but we're talking about mothers here. Like I've had so many resentments that I ultimately had to choose to let go of and do my own work regardless of her and her space or her willingness or her, whether she agreed or disagreed with my version of the story. And you even open up, I want to talk about versions of the stories because you open up your book by talking about how everybody has their own subjective reality, right? Mm -hmm. And how your version of your, like your experience is your experience, right? And so maybe the adult in the room had a different experience of that memory or that that moment, right? And these are our subjective realities that then we have to take with us and dismantle and under, or take the time to understand and let go of those resentments. But that's really done... I think what a point that you just that you really reiterate throughout your writing is that it's really up to us and that we can do this work without the cooperation of of our parent. Exactly. I'm so glad you brought up that point. Yeah, part of the healing um and in my course I t- I think it's um step 4 is about giving up the impossible dream of our mother's changing. And so part of the healing is like yeah, giving up attachment to our mother's being any different. So there's a grieve a grieving. Oh my god, it's so hard. Yeah. It's a grieving process that we go through. But it's so healing because when we unhook from our need for our mother's to change, we, there's so much life force that comes back to us like your life becomes more your own. Like ah, she can be however she wants to be and I'm all right. Um, it's a real liberating thing, but it's, it's sad though, in a way too, we have to grieve that we have to grieve, but grieving is freedom. That's one of the things I've learned through the healing process over decades and continue to is to welcome grief because grief always leads to freedom. It always leads to a big expansion. So whenever you feel grief, come on, celebrate in a way, say, Oh, here's my friend grief again. (laughs) All right, let's do this. You know, I'm going to make space for whatever's coming up because Grief is how we let go of the past. It's how our bodies actually let go is through the process of grieving, which is very organic. We can't control it. That's why it's so hard in this capitalist culture that's like we should be able to control everything and pay for whatever we want. And so it's, it's a holy thing. Grief is grief is holy. I cannot agree more, you know, especially with my mom's passing in February, you know, a lot of people on the outside were like, she did these horrible things to you. Like you were estranged from her. Like, why are you so upset? And it was so hard for me to explain that. Not that whatever, like I don't have to explain anything I don't want to. Sure. But like, I understand that from the outside, you'd be like, how, how, first of all, how could you ever forgive this person? Second of all, like you didn't have a relationship with her. So like, why is this, is her passing so hard for you? And for me, and then you touched on this a little bit is more like I was sad because I don't think I ever stopped having hope right? For the fact that maybe, maybe one day she would change or be, she would mother me in a way that I wanted to be mothered. And I guess with her earthly passing, right? Whatever's happening with her soul is one thing, but with her earthly passing, I was like, okay, it's done. It's not going to happen. It's not going to happen. Like it's just not going to happen. There's nothing now because she's gone that is going to bring us to a space where she can be the mother that I needed. 
And now I'm really on my own. And now I'm really, you know, at a point where I can accept the reality of the situation and heal more fully from it. So that, no, I just wanted to touch on that with, in terms of grief, because it is a very sad thing, you know, and I've, and I, I even wrote about it. Like I mentioned so many times that like, I've grieved my mom's, I've grieved my mom so many times in my life. This was like the final grievance, right? This was like the final part of that for me, for me and my, my journey and my specific relationship. But I, I think a lot of people have had to grieve their moms over time and the acceptance of who she is and who she can't be, what we needed, what boundaries we have to set if we're actually setting the boundaries, you know, and these things happen over time. I've often felt like other people's feelings and behaviors are like my responsibility. Mm-hmm. Like I have actually had people say in so many ways that their behaviors or choices were because of something I did. And the longer I stay in a state of healing, the more I realize your quote to be true. I don't owe you a version of me that distracts you from your responsibility to face your own pain. This shows up for me in so many ways. As we like grow and we heal and we step into our our own power, this rocks the boat for people. Yes, it does. Yes, Let's talk about that. Yeah, this is one of my favorite topics actually. Um, Aspects of it is to talk about how when you step into sovereignty more and more, that's kind of the word I use, but right now that's what what I'm using is like, yeah, step into your power. It naturally, it's automatic kind of byproduct of healing the mother wound is you, you stop over functioning and you, you, you start to see like, there's no payoff. There's no payoff in protecting people from their lessons and their struggles and their misperceptions and trying to convince people of something. There's no payoff. It's a waste of energy. You start to realize that. And so you stop doing it. And what happens is the people in your life that were used to you playing that role, there's a turbulence that happens. Like, why is she not doing that? Um, and I can use my, my family of origin as an example. Like I was the kind of spot, I am, I was like the sponge. I absorbed everybody's emotions, my parents and my brother. And then when and I took care of everybody in these different ways, because everybody was, you know, in their stuff and I stopped doing it. I was in therapy long enough. I started to see, Oh, you know, at year 15, I'm like, I'm not doing this anymore. And the whole system kind of imploded and everybody was like, why can't you just get along? Like, why can't you just go back to where you were? Like, what's wrong with you? Can't you just forget it? You know, because I wasn't tolerating stuff. I was setting boundaries. The system couldn't support me in my empowered state because the other other people in the system were had not done enough work on themselves. So they didn't have the capacity to adjust. They could only view my empowerment as a form of rejection and abandonment. Or a threat. Or threat. Even? Oh, definitely a threat. Or an attack. Like yeah, they, they right. saw my empowerment as like, you're leaving me, you're behind, or you're hurting me. Um, and so one of the hardest things, but most exciting things is to learn to tolerate people misunderstanding you and learn oh, to wow. tolerate people's misperceptions that come when you have evolved beyond that homeostasis point where the two of you could have a kind of connection that was ongoing. Um and that was one of the biggest lessons I've learned over the past like 10 years, really. It's been a long time, but it's, it's, I don't think there's anything more empowering because as a over-functioner, you start to realize 
how little you're really responsible for and how much energy is yours to use however you want and how that's actually a form of respect. Like when you allow people, like I realized as an overfunctioner, I kind of was manipulating people and I was kind of not respecting their boundaries when I was like, you know, you need to push, I was pushing them to heal or grow. Or I was like, oh, I'll take care of that for you. Let me counsel you in, you know, some ways. And I'm like, now I see that as that's an infringement of their sovereignty, you know, and that there was an agenda in that for me. Cause it's like, this is how, this is my role in life is to take care of people and to, this is how I feel important is to give to others. And, and so there was a kind of underhanded that I wasn't conscious of enough. It was, you know, at the time, it was just what I learned. Um, and that's how women are, you know, women aren't taught to be powerful in a patriarchy. We're taught that we have to manipulate, that we have to do things in different ways. We can't be overtly powerful. Whoa. Hold on. Oh my gosh. Wait, we are taught to manipulate and we are taught that we cannot be overtly powerful. Yes. Yes. Men are taught they can. They can be angry. They can push things and push people. But when women do that, mm -mm. so women have to find underground ways. And our mothers and grandmothers taught these underground ways, like people pleasing, like that example that I was giving. So it's very empowering to start to see that sovereignty involves being super true and loving other people involves potent honesty. Like I am loving you when I'm honest about who I am and what's right and true and best for me. I am respecting you when I am the authority of who I am and not asking you to be that for me and not trying to be that for you. And so the tricky bit is that a lot of people are not there yet. So you're likely ahead of the curve you know, if you're doing this work in your communities or your families or whatever. So it's a really powerful um, learning curve, but it's liberating when you can start to feel that your safety is no longer in the complicity of those old patterns. And you can let them go more easily when you feel safe inside. The way to actually do that, this is kind of a byproduct of what I call inner mothering, where you start to create a bond of safety with that child in you, filling the mother gap of what you didn't get from your mother And over time, you start to feel safe enough to be sovereign and to risk the misperceptions, to risk not being liked, to risk being disliked um, for the sake of being true and in integrity. This conversation is so good. But before we keep going, I want to take a minute to thank our sponsors, Sana Skin Studio. The best way for me to describe Sana is that it feels like coming home. Unlike traditional facials, Sana's facials are rooted in education, and I love this so much. Every experience I've had at Sana has been a chance to learn more about my skin and its needs. I love that the facials are effective while also being accessible enough to be a monthly ritual rather than a yearly splurge. I'm honored to be able to provide our audience with a promo code. Use the code THENOGLOW for $25 off of your first facial at Sana when booking via sanaskinstudio.com. I just want to take a moment to tell you about a new app that is taking Miami by storm, The Herd. You may have seen that I recently moderated a panel of beauty and technology experts at The Herd's Beauty for Breakfast event. Well, I have since made my profile on the app and have positively loved the community. 
The Herd is a social app that helps women find and share recommendations for beauty, health, and wellness services. So you can think of The Herd as a highly curated Yelp for women's beauty and wellness services. The Herd prioritizes recommendations rather than reviews and is building a positive community where women share their favorite service providers and positive experiences instead of focusing on negativity like some of the other platforms out there. One of the things that I love the most is that it is a female-founded app. They are currently building out their community right here in Miami. So if you live in Miami and you love recommending services to your friends, this is definitely an app for you. Some of the perks? Well, the Herd app has become my little black book for all my self-care providers. And the Herd helps you find like-minded women in the Miami community, and they have a rewards program where you can earn points as you engage on the app. The Herd app is available for both iPhone and Android, and you can easily find it by searching for the Herd. That's spelled T-H-E. H-E-A-R-D, all one word, in the App Store. And check out my profile under Nikki Spolstra to learn more about my personal recommendations and see how I am utilizing the herd. So let's talk about um, disruptive truth-telling. What does it Because I'm in a space, Bethany, where like, I'm just like coming out with this, especially with this podcast. My podcast has pissed a lot of people in my life off, okay? Mm. Like- like the more I recount, especially, you know, and it's hard because it's, it's a public thing. And I'm sure like, I mean, I don't know if your mother read your book, but like, it's hard to read some of these things. I can imagine yeah. that it's hard to read this stuff. Right. Or like, if I, if I go out to like recount and experience how I experienced it in my subjective reality, like that's not going to sit well with everybody because they have their own side of the story. Right. So, but now like I'm saying, I'm not keeping any more secrets about myself or my life, you know, and I believe in my heart that by talking about it, this now empowers another woman to talk about it. Right. And like, just what we're doing here, you and I are having this conversation. Hopefully this inspires other women to have these conversations as well. You know, that's how we like, we move the needle here, Mm -hmm. but this truth telling is disrupting shit, right? We're disrupting the status quo, like whatever, like the, the baseline dysfunction might be, or the equilibrium in a toxic family system, like us telling the truth now disrupts that equilibrium for what it's worth. So what does the disruptive truth telling, what does it mean, but what does it not mean also? Uh, Disruptive truth telling is what happens more as we heal. And as we step into sovereignty, it's not you know, disruptive truth, truth telling is not just being oppositional for the sake of it, right? It's not just like willy nilly uh, pushing people around or just like wanting to be disruptive for some, you know, just for the sake of it. It's not that. It's more like you have done enough work in yourself that you're comfortable being more authentic and more real and more true, despite the the p- potential to upset other people. Um, and that's it. That's a healing milestone that is mega, that's huge. But in a world where there's still, you know, we're still patriarchally dominant, um, you will disrupt systems. And so the, the thing that's awesome about it is systems have to be disrupted to change. Systems have to be disruptive to be moved to another level. So this is almost like an identity shift we have to step into, which is that you're not you know, you have to become comfortable with doing that and, um, and realize that it's for the sake of a greater good, right? So it's kind of like, 
speaking, you have to trust that's what's best for you when you're speaking out, when you're being true, when you're being honest, when you're being in integrity, you have to trust that that's serving everyone in the whole, whether their personalities agree with that or not. So it's really like standing firm in yourself. And we can take that disruptive truth-telling little way. You know, we can take little steps in that direction. It doesn't have to be like, you know, you're in a meeting at work and you just blow it up with something. It's, it doesn't have to be dramatic, um, but it, it does, these little disruptions are what are needed, really what are needed. So it's really kind of being called into a more, instead of a shame-based identity, which a lot of us formed in childhood where we kind of stay small, this is like being a courage-based identity where, or an integrity-based identity where What's really safe is this connection with ourselves and being true to what's true within. That's really where safety lies. It's not no longer in these patriarchal mandates that we've been taught, the gender roles, the, you know, don't do this, don't do that. Like we got to blast that open and, and, and be overtly non-patriarchal, you know, like I like to think of myself, like my body will no longer be the battleground of patriarchy. I will not perform for the patriarchy, you know? Um, so there's ways that we can break, be disrupted within ourselves too, whether it's thoughts going through our heads, you know, watch your narrative. Sometimes you can hear yourself maybe being unkind to your body or unkind to, you know, being really hard on yourself. Or I know a lot of women struggle with that or guilt for the truth of your feelings, guilt for needing to set boundaries. And it's like this guilt isn't a true thing. It's not like we're, you know, Guilt isn't telling us anything about the truth. It's more like this artifact that said women can't be fully human. And so when we're fully human, we feel guilt and it's like we get to be fully human. So I like to tell women, feel the guilt and do it anyway. Don't like the fear, like feel fear and do it anyway. Feel guilt and do it anyway. It's just an artifact of patriarchal control that we've internalized. How do we continue to validate our own realities despite the fact that others around us cannot or will not? Yeah, it's practice, basically. It's practice, keep doing it. Um, But even more importantly, the thing that will make it even easier is to validate your inner child's experience. So get used to thinking like and feeling. There's like for everybody, every one of us, the inner child inside of you is like a, it's like a certain signature, an energy, a flavor when she's active. And and it's kind of like a new relationship. So you have to kind of get used to like, feeling like, Ooh, my inner child just responded to that. Or I felt my inner child's joy, or I felt my inner child's trepidation. So you have to kind of like start to soothe her and be like, I got you. You know, I feel your feelings. I, I teach this practice called validate, differentiate. It's just a handy little phrase, which is you validate your inner child's feelings. You always, always, always start with validating like, yes, your feelings are normal and natural. They make sense given what you've been through. And the second part is differentiate, which is, and we're not stuck in the past. You're not trapped. You're not stuck. I have got you. I'm here to protect, protect you and nurture you and celebrate you. So, and so from that place of starting to soothe and help the inner child feel safe in many, many moments, that practice allows you to feel more fierce and more um, actively speaking your truth. So the inner child won't be like putting the brake on really hard. You know, if she's not feeling safe, she's going to pull the brakes. She's going to shut it down because it's just not safe. So if you cultivate inner safety ongoingly, it's almost like filling an inner reservoir of love and compassion within yourself. This is 
this is dismantling patriarchy, everybody, is being loving and compassionate to yourself on a regular basis. It feels very foreign and uncomfortable in the beginning, especially because many of us didn't get that from our moms. So it's this epic thing of like, but little tiny steps of, I call them micro check-ins. You know, you can check in with your inner child, but it builds over time. So it's like a cumulative thing that builds and you start to just find yourself automatically. Like I've seen this in all the women I teach, my workshops and, and my course, is there's this kind of powerful leadership that just shows up in women when they're like in touch with themselves. They're not as afraid to, to be what they are. And so you start to automatically kind of emerge in a leadership role, whether it's in your community or at your job, or um, there's less fucks given and it's very inspiring for people around you. So you kind of become like an agent of possibility, but it all starts with this very private practice of how do you mother that little girl inside of you who's still afraid based on what happened to you as a child so this is often overlooked, right? People say, don't think about the past, but literally this is what pulls the strings in your life. So this is about stepping outside of that invisible fence that says, oh, I'm not, I can only be here. You get to step out of that when the inner child starts to really get in a visceral level. Like neuro, with neuroscience, it's like giving your amygdala more data that you're safe, right? The amygdala that went through trauma needs more data that we're not in that traumatic situation anymore. We just like, it's like a birth in a way. It's like we dilate a space in that invisible fence to go more into the broader place. I call the maternal horizon. Beyond the maternal horizon, what our moms and grandmothers did. We get to be more fierce, more adventuresome, more playful. You talk about two specific archetypes in the book, right? And we, you mentioned about like the, the life of it and coming to life. And there's also like the concept of death in service to life, oh, yes. right? Yep. And the death mother versus the apocalyptic mother. Oh, I'm so glad you brought this up because it's one of my favorite parts of the book. I love that part um, of the book. I was like, I, I, by the way, Bethany, I was listening. I listened to it the second time around. I read it the first time and then I listened to it the second time. I would literally like pull over and like fiercely like jot down in my notes. I'm like, I gotta get that. I gotta get it. I like rewind 15 seconds. I'm like, write it down. Because I loved this concept of the death mother versus the apocalyptic mother. Yes, yes. These are concepts that are came from a Marion Woodman, who many of you might recognize, powerful feminist, uh, Jungian author. But she, um, so the, the, the death mother is this archetype, which is the mother who just wants to destroy her child. I know it's kind of a dark, it's a dark archetype, but it's basically how shame corrodes that impulse in a mother to love and support life. So if we don't process our shame that we developed through the mother wound, um, through our childhood experiences, we kind of project this cold anti-life energy, you know, which is negative, victimizing, martyr-like. Um, and the death mother can be kind of a force, Marian Woodman says, in the psyche that actually works against us. It's like this self-sabotaging, you know, it's almost like the introject of the mother in your own psyche that wants to destroy you because of her own pain. And so she talks about that this is an archetype that can be in our psyche as women. And the other archetype she talks about, on the other hand, is the apocalyptic mother. And that word apocalypse comes from the Greek, which means um, it has to do with kind of like bringing what was hidden out into the open. That's actually what the apocalypse means. It doesn't mean death and kind of this final dramatic death of the earth or something. It's actually a very positive life-giving word that means that we take what was hidden and underground and we bring it out into the light. And the ap apocalyptic mother is more like the archetype of Kali in Hinduism, which is the mother who destroys in service to life. 
So the death mother is destruction due to pain, unprocessed pain. And the apocalyptic mother is death in service to life. So when we process our pain, when we digest it and work through it, we come to new life. So it's like a new kind of birth. Um, and each woman, you know, I think I say in the book that the, the death mother's kind of at the gate of our power. The death mother's there, like, don't you dare step into your power. Don't you dare, you know, abandon me. Don't you dare be powerful. Um, you know, I'm going to destroy you because I'm your mother. And, be, you know, it's, it's more like power over, which is patriarchal. You know, patriarchal power is power over. So um, the death and service to life is we allow in our psyches, we allow ourselves to grieve and really come into contact and confront that pain that lives in us, right? That's part of the human experience is we all inherit some degree of pain. And so it's a responsibility, a holy responsibility to process that pain, to get tools and support. And as we do that, we do experience a death, but it's not, it's a death where we are transformed and we have a new life after that. And that's kind of where our destiny lies. And if we have the courage to do this work, it's, you know, it's like you said earlier, it's not for the faint of heart, but it, it it's, you know, think about where we're living in this moment in history. It's like, we need more people who are willing and open to this possibility of feeling, you know, feeling the pain, working through it so that we can ultimately have a new world, like a new kind of life on earth where it's, you know, about life. It's not anti-life. We're living in a culture that's very anti-life, anti-woman, anti-earth. So the more of us, I think, that go through this process, we experience that inner apocalypse, so to speak, we can give birth to a new kind of life, a new kind of self, a new kind of culture. Wow, Bethany, thank you so much. Thank you so, so much. You know, and I, I want to note that, like, I don't, I don't think it's a mistake that I found you. You know, I really, your book found its way to me. I don't even know how I found it. I, I, I can't even remember how I found it, but it found its way to me because it's what I needed to hear. And I know that like, in my opinion, I believe that God talks through all of us in different yes, ways. And then me too. And the universe is like, you know, we can have this conversation here, Bethany, and we can't really control like how other people receive it, right? Like that's- yep whatever God is working through, through them on what they hear. And I just, I just know that what you're doing is so hugely powerful and transformative. And I hope that this lands in the laps of whoever needs to hear it today, because mm. I think it can be really life-changing. I know that it's been life-changing for me personally, and I'm, I'm so glad to be able to spread, spread the word of, of your work. So thank you so much for taking the time. You, you are, you are incredible. Oh, Nikki, thank you so much. I've enjoyed every minute of our conversation today. You're amazing. I feel like I talked to you for hours. Same. Um, I was like, I feel like I could just we could go on and on and on. I could talk about this with you forever. So thank you for the space. Thank you for like spreading the word about my work and bringing me on your podcast. I hope that our conversation was inspiring and that everybody got at least one little takeaway. Even if it's a little bit of a trigger or an activation, there's something there, you know, to explore. So thank you for creating the space for us to talk about this today. Thank you so much, Bethany. This podcast was brought to you by Sana Skin Studio. Be sure to use my code, the no glow for $25 off of your first facial at Sana when booking via sanaskinstudio.com. More than a skin studio, Sana is a movement towards healthier skin 
and self-love. Thank you so much to my friends at The Herd for sponsoring this episode of The Know with Nikki Spo. The Herd app is available for both iPhone and Android, and you can easily find it by searching for The Herd, that's spelled T-H-E-H-E-A-R-D, all one word, in your preferred app store. And while you are at it, check out my profile under Nikki Spolstra to learn more about my personal recommendations and see how I am utilizing The Herd. Thank you so much for listening to The Know. If you loved this episode, go ahead and share it with a friend. Words are so powerful and someone may need to hear what we covered today. And if you really loved this episode, please take a moment to rate the show and leave a review. Your comments are so important and valued and they give other listeners insight on what to expect on The Know. You can connect with me personally via Instagram at Nikki Sap Spo and The Know with Nikki Spo. My hope for you today is that you are fearless in looking inward so that you can be your highest, most authentic self and go after the life of your dreams. Say goodbye to your credit card rewards. Greedy corporate mega stores, led by Walmart and Target are pushing for a law in Congress to take away your hard-earned cash back and travel points to line their pockets. The Durbin Marshall credit card bill would enact harmful credit card routing mandates that would end credit card rewards as we know it. If you love your credit card rewards, tell your lawmakers, hands off my rewards. Tell them to oppose the Durbin Marshall credit card bill.